This is the Drink 5 Retro Spectacle Podcast, episode number 13. Tonight is legalizing marijuana in the United States. Open this beer for you, Dave. Oh, you already have a beer, but you need a nice beer for this podcast, Mr. Bob Marley. This is not Mr. Bob Marley. Who is this? Mr. Peter Tosh. I don't even know who that is. He is another, you know, he's the second most famous reggae singer. So not very famous then, probably. I don't know. Peter Tosh is pretty famous, I think. I don't know who he is. Well, I mean, you don't know who a lot of people are. Neither do you. <laughs> is this podcast about who, what people we know and what people we don't know? That would be interesting to just literally go through the list of every single person you've ever heard of. No, no. This is a very interesting topic. It's right. It's about the legalization of marijuana in the United States. Right. Uh, but first, before we get to that, uh, what, what are we drinking tonight, man? Uh, so I have a Lagunitas Undercover Investigation Shutdown Ale. And we have told the story of this beer before. But it fits with tonight's uh, theme, so tell, I figured I'd go with it. Tell it again. Uh, well, no reason to think that someone who listened to I'm, one I show, may be a bit rusty on the. Um, what's what's the idea this, behind it? Well, the idea behind it is that uh, the California DEA sort of set up a sting, and for like eight weeks they were trying to um, show that Lagunitas at their 420 parties were uh, basically giving uh, like. Facilitating the sale of marijuana. Okay, and that was that was bad. And they spent eight weeks uh, investigating it, and all they were able to do was bust like one guy with a joint who was just smoking it. Like every time they tried to buy weed, people would just give it. Were would only offer to give it away. Uh, so, anyways, Lagunitas got shut down for like six weeks uh, be, as a result of all this, and uh, they made this awesome beer. In the meantime, and now they brew it every year in honor of the St. Patrick's Day Massacre, as they call it. Ah, gotcha. Well, cheers to the St. Patrick's Day Massacre. Cheers. Like most Lagunitas bottles, it's told in very tiny text around the frame of the label. <laughs> they have it in there. Uh, so, anyways, tonight our topic is uh, the legaliz- legalizing marijuana in the United States. Um we have a guest that's going to join us a little bit later in the show, uh, Alan St. Pierre, who is the executive director of Normal. Um, that's a very important lobbying group. And uh, What's sort Normal? Of, Normal is the national organization for the re- reform of marijuana laws. Right. So, you know, they're advocates for using sane you know, and smart approaches towards marijuana laws. Not necessarily just saying, you know, make it legal and that's that. That's the only thing they want to do. So anyways, you know, marijuana is sort of illegal. Um, It it did take... uh, It's sort of illegal? Well, technically speaking, you can buy a marijuana stamp from the government. But it costs like a ridiculous amount of money and they don't sell them besides. On a federal level, marijuana is illegal. No. (laughs) It's... um, In a certain way, it is. But it's in order to make a substance illegal... They had to, like alcohol, they had to pass a constitutional amendment. So it is illegal, and you can, it's a regulated substance. For all intents and purposes, it's illegal on a federal level. Yes. Okay. I mean, 
to you and me, it's illegal. But in theory, you could buy a marijuana stamp. You know, they do allow it to be grown uh, at the University of Mississippi. That's where all the research marijuana has to come from in the United States. Um, so, you know. Well, these aren't regular people. It's not a regular situation. That's very true. There's there's some weird, like, uh, way that you can get around it, which is through research and, you know, et cetera. But right. But it's illegal on a federal level. Right. And that's been the case ever since 1937. So before that, like, you know, back in the 1800s, they were as popular as uh, opium dens. You know, they were hashish parlors, which I suppose may be making a comeback in Colorado and places like that now. Because uh, there has to be some place, you know, made available to go and smoke the weed that you've bought, right? Well, can't you just smoke it anywhere? No. Um, in most places like that, it's even more restrictive than, like, where you're allowed to drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes. You're not allowed to do it in public at all. Um you're not allowed to do it in your car. You, you, know, you have to do it somewhere private. So, you know, if you own a house there, then you're fine. You can go to, go home and smoke it. Uh, but if you're a tourist, it, you know, you run into a lot of problems. You have to, like, go to a hotel that would allow it. But, you know, like here in Illinois, there's a lot of rules against allowing smoking at all of any kind in those places. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> you know... Basically, what wound up happening, like, one of the sort of conspiratorial uh, approaches to what happened with marijuana and why it became illegal is, um, you know, a guy, Harry Anslinger, who was the head of the uh, Federal Narcotics Bureau, he was the first head of it, Uh, he was the head of it for like 32 years, marijuana was sort of his first big uh, case, and he was the guy who launched a public campaign about the evils of marijuana, connecting it with violent crimes and immigrants and stuff like that stuff that people didn't want to have anything to do with at the time um so what you know the conspiracy theory is is that william randolph hearst who has had a gigantic newspaper empire he also had interests in the wood pulp industry which was basically what was used to make paper at the time it was either going to be hemp industrial hemp or wood pulp and the theory is that anslinger and hearst kind of teamed up to defeat the industrial hemp lobby. And what they did, you know, the way that they did it was by portraying marijuana as this drug that made people go crazy, that would make the immigrants come and uh, rape your daughter. Um, Why did they want to destroy the commercial hemp industry? Well, they had interests in either DuPont, who was making this nylon, which was a new thing, or in the wood pulp industry. So um, when you're making paper, you can use hemp or you can use wood pulp. Now, wood pulp, you know, is more expensive and it's actually worse for the environment. Um, but that's where Hearst's money was at the time. So since it was economically, you know, advantageous for him to back the wood pulp and to get the other lobby, not only, uh, you know, try and defeat them fairly, but to actually just get them shut down, um, get the other industry shut down, that is, you know, that would make it that... You know, make it so he had a monopoly on everything. Okay. So basically, they used this public fear, this public campaign against... But that's, that's not the only reason why this all happened, right? I mean, there's theories that that is pretty much why it went down like that. They used all of the panic, um, you know, all these like basically made-up stories about people who would go crazy and murder a family... Um, there was a story about a guy in Florida who 
smoked some weed and murdered a family, and he didn't remember doing any of it. Well, I gotta tell you, news stories that begin with a Florida man are usually true. Oh, well, maybe. Even going back into the 30s. Florida has some screwed up people, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, okay, let's let's assume that that uh, is the reason why why sort of all of this began. Right. And that was right around the time that Reefer Madness came out. Have you ever seen Reefer Madness? No. It's a really bad propaganda movie, and it, what's funny about it is that it became popular again in the seventies as a satire movie. People would watch it and get stoned and laugh at it because it was so ridiculous and uh, so out of touch with reality. Um, so it is actually on the public domain now, and you can watch it on YouTube. So I'll put a link to it on our article. Well, cheers to YouTube. Go check out Reefer Madness, and uh, you know we're not uh, necessarily. Uh, telling you to go smoke and see it, but it, it might uh, give you a kick. Yeah. So can you think of other products or industries that were smeared kind of similar to the way that you know they wanted to eradicate the industrial hemp industry? Well, I imagine they all were at some point. I yeah. imagine every, every single product that's ever become a product was smeared by someone. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, I bet you could point to like renewable resources today like the giant oil companies don't want renewable resources to become you know very popular i don't think that everything is a conspiracy and i think that there's probably more to it than this too you know it's not like this guy william randolph hearst is is the person that got marijuana banned as a substance um you also have to think of the other reasons uh because uh, it in in and of itself uh is a drug similar to alcohol in that it, it changes your state of mind right Right. So uh, there are people that said we should not allow people to change their states of mind. Just period. Right. I mean, it was at the same time as prohibition in the United States. You know, they really started making all kinds of laws in the. So 20s. they were they were like sort of cracking down on all this stuff at that time, and they're like, let's just be uh, very clear-headed individuals by not allowing anything to uh, not allowing any drugs or illicit substances to escape right. uh, your normal state of mind. It was sort of a puritanical uh, answer to like the crazy 20s. Yeah, but I, as far as other products specifically, I'm not really sure what those would be. But I, I guarantee you that any time that there is someone like a Hearst that has money in something and, and another product comes up, then there will be all kinds of things similar to this. Right. So, are you familiar with industrial hemp? Do you own a hemp shirt or have some hemp rope with your camping gear at all? I don't have anything made of hemp. Okay. Uh, it, it's not like it's illegal to own things made of hemp. I know that it can be used as a product. Uh, uh, I, I tend to think that if it was so superior to everything else, it would be everywhere, and it doesn't seem to be. So, it's it seems like it's more of like a, something that can be used as an alternative to other things. Um, in. It, in a lot of ways, it can be used as, as an alternative, and the benefit comes from it's a plant that's less um, that's better for the environment and it's easier to grow, or um, it could actually be a better use. Like uh, using hemp for paper is much better than using it for trees. When you use it for from trees, I should say, uh, you're taking all these chemicals to bleach the paper so that you can use it. You're using um, other chemicals to make sure it combines, and some of those are cancerous um what's more expensive trees by far well then why isn't all paper made of hemp one of the really big reasons is because the united states 
the laws that they wrote don't differentiate between industrial hemp and marijuana. Would that be one of those things like recycled paper where it's a different color, like it's not white? Well, they still bleach it. All they need to use is hydrogen peroxide to bleach it and make it white because the plant is already much closer to the desired color that you're going for. Well, I'm just wondering a little bit because if this is true and you know hemp is uh, not only better for the environment but, but actually uh, something that costs less, yeah. then it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that they haven't completely gone over to hemp paper instead of tree paper. I agree. I think that this is uh, one of the like one of the side effects of the law that has, you know, destroyed an entire industry. Um, I know that uh, Dade County Ma- Madison hemp used to be the uh, you know Madison Wisconsin hemp used to be their cash crop. They would grow it in farms everywhere because it could be used for so many things. Like it's grown in Europe. Um, France is one of the biggest producers of industrial hemp. Uh, they understand that. So this industrial hemp, it has a very low level of THC. Uh, we all know that THC is sort of the psychoactive substance in marijuana that gets you high, right? Uh, so these uh, these hemp plants only have 0.3% THC. Some of them are only 0.1%. Well, this doesn't have that much to do with legalizing marijuana, but but it's very interesting you bring up that whole point, and I will have to agree with you, as, as would everyone else that listens to the show, uh, if you look up the information, you know, and, and you find that that paper developed from hemp is both cheaper and better for the environment, there's no real reason for the uh, society not to use it. Although I suppose what you're saying is, if you're growing that, then it's just a stone's throw away from growing marijuana, which then becomes... Uh, something that people frown upon or is not correct in the eyes of the government. Well, I mean, it's almost... The problem is the plant looks the exact same. It's just the properties of it are different. So this hemp isn't going to have any THC. You could smoke it all day long. You'll never get high. The government didn't separate the two at all. So I suppose that a bunch of people you know, would probably... The layperson who isn't fully educated on it isn't going to be able to tell the difference between it. And maybe that's what they were thinking when they made the law. Okay. But going back to the whole conspiracy side of that, you know, it's almost like they were taking, they wanted to eliminate their competition from this amazing source that they had no control over. Uh, and, you know, they used the other side of marijuana to do that. And so that's where I think the uh, it still has an effect with the legalization of marijuana in that if marijuana itself is starting to become accepted and starting to become legalized, you know, the one of the great benefits of that is that we will have an industrial hemp crop again in the United States. <sighs> so you can make, like we said, paper. You can make textiles, so you can make clothes. And they were saying, uh, you know, you can make really thick stuff that would cover your couch. Or you can make a really light dress. Um, it's very versatile in that way. You can make biodegradable plastics, which I know you can make out of all kinds of different, um, all kinds of different plant sources. But some plants, as we know, are better for things than others. Like, you know, corn is actually pretty crappy for making ethanol, but sugarcane is really good for making it. Um, so they also will take the hemp and they'll make it into insulation. Uh, hemp seeds uh, are really good as a health food. They extract all the protein from it. Um, you can actually make fuel like an ethanol from hemp. 
Um, so it grows really fast. It's a great product. And I don't know, I, in doing all this research about marijuana and the laws, I was reading about all, all the industrial hemp and it was making me very excited. The plant is extraordinary. It really is. So check out the article and stuff. Check it out. Um, you know, check out some links that I'll drop on there. So do you think that if it's legal, that industrial hemp is going to become a big industry? Honestly, I have, I have no idea. I don't know enough about hemp. I don't know enough about the industry as it is right now. Uh, I think people are pretty entrenched in, in what they're doing currently. Uh, I think if, if anything, if it ends up being something that's cheaper uh, than, than yes, because all that matters right now, if you're talking about the clothing industry or any industry in the United States, is, mm-hmm. is what material is cheaper. Right. I, I, nobody really cares about what's better for the environment. So what kind of things do you want to be able to buy that's made out of hemp? I'm you going to buy some hemp clothing maybe? I don't think I'm really interested unless it's cheaper. Okay. I I don't want to specifically go buy hemp things. Like I'm fine with cotton and and the the ingredients they have. Why is there a reason why I would want to buy hemp things other than cotton things? Like are they softer? Are they more resistant to, you know, like stains? Is there a reason why I'd be interested in that? Um I'm not exactly sure what the major benefits are. I suppose it's probably a more sustainable plant to be making your clothing out of. Well, like I know they can make things out of hemp, but I'm worried that they'd be more like polyester or like, you know, tougher. Like I like cotton for a reason, right? Because right. cotton is like a soft, nice fabric. Um, so I don't know. I mean, we'd have to get it on the, in the uh, market, but but the important thing is, uh, what you're saying, I guess, is is that if things go the right way for uh, both of these kinds of plants, that then the, the products will be on the market, giving you the choice to buy it or not buy it. Yeah. But isn't it already available? Like, can't you already buy hemp clothing? Hemp is not illegal, right? Uh, right. You just can't grow it here. You have to import it. And America is actually the largest uh, importer of hemp. Um. So just looking up a couple notes about it, um, a lot of the benefits are because, you know, you do use a lot less water and you don't have to use pesticides uh, to grow it. The the stuff is a weed itself, so it chokes out everything else that it's growing around. But is it a better fabric? It is a little bit rougher at first, but it's better at breathing and wicking away moisture. And as you wear it more, kind of like cotton, it becomes softer. So I would assume that, you know, if you buy a shirt, it would be maybe stiffer, like a polyester. But then, as you wear it, it'll soften up. Maybe you know, after a dozen times or so. Well, then to answer your question, I'm not sure that I would buy that because I do like the softer materials. Yeah, but I, I certainly you know approve of it being sold here, and and uh, it, especially if it's good for the environment, that's that's fantastic. Uh, I would encourage everybody to buy it. So that's great. I didn't know that. I guess you couldn't make it here. We just imported a lot. Yeah, you, well, you can't, right, you can't grow it here. Although in Colorado, very recently, they did finally have their first hemp harvest in like 50 years. Okay, but let's let's move on from, from hemp to, uh, yes, to marijuana. Yes, yes, let's go back to our marijuana laws. So, leading into this whole revolution of marijuana laws was the war on drugs, what we grew up in, the era of the D.A.R.E. program, right? You went through D.A.R.E. as a kid, right? Uh, I think pretty much everyone who grew up in the United States in the 80s did. Yes. Okay, so 
what I mean, do you remember anything from Dare that uh, sticks with you today? Yes. Did any okay, what what is that? They they showed you all these drugs and what the drugs would do to you. Okay. And then did you look at certain ones and come to your own conclusions or did you take what everything that that they had to say at face value? Well, I was a good dare kid, actually. Yeah, you know, one of the people that were like first in the program, et cetera, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I honestly don't have an issue with necessarily with with like telling kids not to do drugs. Oh yes, that's a very controversial stance you're taking there, Dave. I, well, no, <laughs> you, you know there. what I'm saying. I I know, and I totally agree with you. This is kind of what they wanted to do. It just got overwhelmed and out of control. Oh, certainly. And it was really the war on drugs that was kind of like what went out of control because they're they're fighting a, um, you know, they're fighting an idea. They're not fighting a uh, an opponent necessarily, right? So I, I don't think, I don't think there was much in the war on drugs that was actually a success. When I look at it, I kind of see uh, a, an increasing prison population Laws that people were incre- were always calling racist. Um, so well, everything's racist. Well, I mean, <laughs> some things are more racist than others, I suppose. Like when you uh, when you write laws that say that uh, crack must be uh, punished five hundred times more harshly than cocaine. You know, that's only targeting people who smoke crack. When you know going into that that only black people smoke crack. Or the majority of black people smoke crack. You saying that don't do cocaine is racist. I'm just saying, you know, if you go into writing that law knowing that, then I think it's pretty fair for people to then turn around and say that you know it's a racist law. If we're going to talk about harder core drugs like you know crack and cocaine and things like that, um, crack destroys people. I know plenty of people that did cocaine in the 80s and they are now fine and not doing cocaine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know anybody that used to do crack and is now okay. I know one person, maybe two people, that used to do heroin are now okay. Yeah. But but look, the point is, there are drugs that are more hardcore than others. Crack and heroin. Oh, absolutely. So I how how are you considering that racist? Like, if you have harsher penalties for a harsher drug, I don't see how that's racist. You know, just because one population maybe tends to do it more than another population, that's not racism. Well, it, it goes pretty deep into it. And I apologize for getting on that topic. That's not what we're talking about. Well, tonight. what we're talking about is is some of those lighter drugs, as they're called, drugs. Right. Which is really the same thing as like uh, like an alcohol, which is something that that almost everyone imbibes at some point. There are people that are teetotalers that don't ever drink alcohol. True. As true. there are people that uh, are the same that don't ever ingest uh, marijuana smoke. Sure. Um, but I think that in our experience, for example, uh, you would tend to agree probably that, uh, that those people that, that do smoke marijuana, uh, aren't any more or less impaired than those people that are drinking casually. Right. Definitely. And so the, the point really that we're trying to get to, right, is, is more along the lines of, uh, yes, there are drugs that are bad. Uh, yes, this drug could be used for bad purposes or in a bad way, mm-hmm. but so can alcohol. Some drugs are definitely worse than others. Uh, so can prescription. I drugs. would say I would I would have to say that if you're comparing marijuana and alcohol, that to use our fantasy football terms, mar- or alcohol has a much higher ceiling of getting uh, messed up. 
Yeah, perhaps. I mean, uh, the the one thing that that people have said before that that somewhat rings true with me is is trying to talk about like, uh, let's say you're uh, in high school or even college or even beyond that, um, as it was the case for for many people that I know, and and they start to smoke or start to do whatever. It can be, as they were calling it, a gateway drug to other things. Right. And that was, you know, one of the things they did was roll pot in with all of these other hardcore drugs. Right. But it's not, you you don't smoke uh, marijuana and then suddenly start doing heroin and smoking crack. Right. That is not something that I have noticed in, you know, ever since I was a college kid and saw people starting to smoke weed. I, you know, the vast majority of them never went any further than that. No, that would just be someone that is going to extremes to escape life, and they're going to do whatever they can anyway, and they're just going to do that. They probably would have done that drug without marijuana. It just so happened that marijuana was probably what was available at the time. Right. And uh, and to talk to you, to your point, about uh, about alcohol and marijuana being very similar drugs, but maybe uh, the ceiling of alcohol being different... Um, there's been all these studies uh, that, that go into uh, talking about marijuana and and where those people uh, sort of cap off, right? So if you were to overdose on marijuana, which uh, scientifically isn't really possible, uh, all you could scientifically really... it is possible. Realistically, it's not. <laughs> okay, realistically, the LD fifty. Uh... I get to drop these numbers because Joe Rogan repeats them all the time. So you need to smoke literally like um, 2,000 pounds of weed in 15 minutes in order to overdose from marijuana. Honestly, you would just pass out on, on a couch. Yes. It, by the time you got to pound number five. Yeah. but um, You'd be a trooper if you made it that far. But one of the things that I'm interested in is is why do people go to these types of things, right? So why do people drink alcohol? Why do people smoke marijuana? If, if we're saying that they're all bunched in at the same kind of level, then people, high school students, college students, and those people that are actually legally able to drink mm-hmm. alcohol in the United States, uh, drink alcohol as a social endeavor. And then a lot of people drink alcohol to sort of uh, uh, forget about things that are happening in their life as, as almost like an uh, antidepressant or like a, as... As some kind of tool to to forget about the things that, that they consider terrible that, I think that exist in their life. I think that that may be true for you know the fifteen percent of drinkers that are probably alcoholics, but I think that the more polite way of putting that is that people might come home and have a beer and unwind. Yeah, and they're not having two beers a night in order to mask their pain. You know, they're just having two beers a night because it helps them relax for the evening. Yes, and, and in general, in, in most uh, considerations, right. that's how it works for alcohol and for marijuana as well. Exactly. Uh, though the people that I know, you know, that's, that's sort of how they use it as well. Uh, but there are people that have uh, addictions to marijuana, just like there are people that have addictions to, uh, to alcohol. There certainly are. And that's something that I maybe didn't uh, buy into as much you know, in the past, but I, you know, it's, especially when you're younger and you start smoking, it can affect your brain a whole lot more, um, than if you had waited until your brain was fully developed. Like, you know, they say, um, on this, there's a great documentary, uh, called weed on CNN. They've got three installments of it now because it was so popular, but, um, they say that, you know, 
your brain is developing until you're own, until you're like 24 years old. Mm-hmm. So if you smoke before then, then you are impeding your brain's ability to grow. And one of the things, one of the reasons why it's so damaging to young kids is that uh, when you're 13, 14, your pleasure response centers are fully developed. So you're able to um, perform a task and feel the reward from that task. And marijuana certainly blasts that part of the brain. But your frontal cortex, the part that is responsible for long-term thinking, for making rational decisions, for not acting out, isn't fully developed. So it causes a lot of problems in people who start smoking at a very young age. Very good. See, and, and that's what I wanted to talk about. So there there are very real reasons why, why although marijuana and alcohol are not intrinsically bad things, they could be uh, equated as bad things depending on uh, you know when they're used in the lifespan of a person. Uh, and and peer pressure and, right. and, and why it happens at a young age because people are looking for escapism or or things just to to get beyond their own you know uh, like realm of existence like there, there are a lot of people that I knew in high school for example that just wanted to uh, get beyond themselves because they were having a hard time at home or they're having a hard time at school or or whatever and they tend to bring other people with them so yeah. So it is still a, a major conversation and concern about younger people, but once you get past that sort of that that age and that sort of uh, problem mm-hmm. uh, with both alcohol and marijuana, if they're being used at just a regular uh, medicinal or recreational level, then they no longer really have any outward uh, harm towards anyone else. There's yes, and you're really not going to develop your de- or stunt your development as a person. Yeah. In that case. So I think it's good to realize that, that while there should be restrictions placed on things at a young age, uh, and of course, like alcohol, for example, uh, in, in a car, you know, uh, in, anytime you're, you're operating machinery, etc. Mm-hmm. Like these are things that, that, that make you slightly different than you currently are. Yeah. So we recognize that as people that are like rational, intelligent people. And we say, if you're going to engage in these kinds of, of things, then you need to do it uh, in a place where you're not harming other people or have the ability to harm other people. That is, yes, absolutely. And one of the things I think that people hesitated on in wanting to pass the laws was that it's tough to measure uh, how high you are right away reliably. Um some tests are good for several hours. Some tests uh, would show you positive for a whole month. But there's nothing as reliable and as instant as a breathalyzer. Mm-hmm. So it, maybe they'll come up with something in a, you know, that's unintrusive. Um, but for the moment, um, there is no tolerance allowed, I believe, for marijuana, where a lot of dry, uh, drunk driving laws, they allow for very low levels. You could have a beer or two. Sure. <clears throat> Okay, uh, so... Alan St. Pierre is the executive director of Normal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. You've been with Normal for over 20 years now. Are you surprised at the pace of change in the laws over the last few years, or was this inevitable? Well, I certainly wouldn't have signed up for what for martyrdom, if you will. Uh, so I guess I always believed at some level it was going to happen. Um... It just was a matter of when, and I remember the, one of the first times I met um, Strop, the founder of Normal, uh, and after an event, uh, people were going back to a hotel room and people were talking all this 
high pollutant strategy. And he said, you know, I think in essence it boils down to this. We have to outlive the bastards. <laughs> <laughs> and by that, what he really meant was just generational change. And so when I give lectures at universities about the five most salient reasons why marijuana law reform is, is so politically potent today, the number one reason is that we're in the era of the baby boomers taking over. That's great. I do notice it from like my parents' generation. They certainly have a much different attitude than what you would have expected uh, from maybe, you know, maybe your generation's parents. Well, so I'm nearly 50, so when I came to normal in 1990, 91, when I was lobbying somebody in Congress or meeting with an editorial board, for example, or their, their old-time columnist, these were men and women, or mainly men, frankly, who are World War II generation, otherwise known mm -hmm. as the Reefer Madness generation. Yeah, yeah. So what states do you see following, like, Washington and Colorado's lead in legalizing marijuana for recreational use over the next couple of years? Well, we're going to see something really unique where uh, in this off-off election year, 2015, in Ohio, there's a very good chance that a effort led by business folks who are seeking a monopoly, if you will, they're seeking uh, uh, 10 licenses for the state and they want to divide them up against their, amongst their supporters. Sure. And this has been done previously with casinos mm -hmm. in some Midwestern states. So, um, most notably in 2016, California, Nevada, Arizona, Massachusetts, and Maine are all states that will have legalization initiatives that are funded and on the ballot, and all of them have high prospects of passing. That's great news. So, is anyone currently moving in the other direction, any states, and they're making their laws tougher? Hmm. Good question. Uh, that's pretty rare these days. Uh, there are a couple of states um, that will enhance their penalties every so often. Uh, Oklahoma last year, if I'm not incorrect, made it so that if you are manufacturing what kids today would call concentrates or dabs or whatnot, um, that you can get a life sentence for, for just wow. manufacturing hash and hash products in Oklahoma. Wow, that's, that's incredibly steep. Yeah, I bet it's not even as bad as uh, making meth out there. <laughs> no, probably not, considering <clears throat> that could be uh, the new state hobby. <laughs> um, so it's, um, I don't think there's any other states that immediately come to mind that are pretty harsh. Um, boy, that trend has largely abated in the last 15 to 20 years. Um, but I'm going to say that the peak of anti-marijuana-ism was probably around 98 or 99. All right. Uh, so if the current trend remains kind of a state-by-state -state issue, uh, what are the chances and how important is it that cannabis gets rescheduled uh, from its current status as a Schedule One substance to something lower, something where they say that there is medicinal value to it? Well, this is so important on a couple different levels. In some ways, not so much. Today's a great example. There's a very important uh, Supreme Court case out of Colorado uh, having to do with a uh, a quadriplegic who got fired for his otherwise legal use of medical marijuana. Hmm. And the case is largely predicated on the fact that um, the federal law says marijuana is a Schedule One drug. Ergo, if a company or government agency wants to drug test, then they should be able to do it. Hmm. So definitely it's got to come off Schedule One. 
intellectually, it makes no sense whatsoever. Pharmacologically, it makes no sense. Um, having said this, if it's lowered to Schedule Two with things like cocaine and Oxycontin and Vicodin and ketamine, all really powerful, in some cases, addictive drugs. Yeah, definitely. Um, they, um, uh, that doesn't really affect marijuana legalization per se. The only thing that would really affect marijuana legalization is something normal is endorsed, but not overtly, and that is that marijuana should be like alcohol and tobacco and caffeine products and just simply not scheduled. Uh, but if you had a look at today's schedule in the Controlled Substance Act, and go, you've got from one to five, five being the, the most available drugs with the least amount of restriction, sure, it's a given marijuana ought to be a five. It's absurd. That it's, it's immoral that it's a Schedule One drug. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. And even other Schedule One drugs like an MDMA has shown promising uses for treating PTSD and other stuff like that where, you know, we don't necessarily know what any of this stuff can do because it's not been proved in science yet. Yeah, particularly with marijuana, the head of uh, NIDA uh, has made it clear uh, we don't look at scientific studies that have to do with the therapeutic or otherwise beneficial aspects of marijuana, only the negative. So from a scientific methodology point of view, this entire discussion is utterly perverted. Uh, you can't have a scientific discussion if the government controls 100% uh, supply on the research subject matter, the marijuana grown at the University of Mississippi at Oxford, mm -hmm. and 100% control on approval of protocol, and they have a predisposed bias. That makes sense. So um, even with having said that, marijuana clearly uh, has a lot of medical uses, and anecdotally, Yes, uh, many different things that uh, it well could be used, and if we could allow science unfettered access to it, like it largely has to all these other types of drugs, then we'll know those answers through peer review. Yeah. So I want to shift gears now and talk about where it has been legalized for recreational use. So in Colorado, they legalized it for sale in 2014. Um, do you think it went so smoothly because they already had the medical marijuana industry already entrenched throughout the state? Yes, I think that's a very important distinction. The policy wonks <clears throat> and those who uh, are casting an eye towards the industry need to be mindful of. This was a state with the most integrated marijuana um, uh, system. Medical marijuana had been voted in by the voters in 98 or 99, if I recall correctly, maybe even 2000. And it was, as I would describe, a self-preservation law, as all of those laws were from 96 through 2010. Mm -hmm. And 2010 is the demarcation line because that's when the state of Colorado uh, legislature, to their credit, was not the first. It was actually New Mexico six months earlier, but it was Colorado who really breathed the most amount of life into the fact that the state already had a rampant um, underground, or not so much, uh, medical marijuana dispensary. Yeah, they didn't have to be underground anymore. Yeah, there were hundreds of them up and down the front range and in some ski valleys. And so, in essence, the legislators after them being in those places for five years or so said, you know, we can't put the genie back in the bottle, so let's just pass the laws, not an initiative, we're not going to have the reformers and the voters do this, but we're going to do it, 
and we're going to pass something that creates a, a system of taxation, control licenses, testing, seed to sale, RFID tagging. We really complicated in stuff compared to mm -hmm. California, which to this day still has almost no regulations, no controls, no licensing, no taxation. So it's really um, uh, Colorado was at the advent. So it was able to, in essence, sort of flip the switch from medical marijuana to legalization. And by the way, that trend is pretty clear. Yeah. Alaska, Oregon, Washington, all the states I mentioned earlier, every single one of them have gone through decriminalization, medical marijuana, and it looks like the obvious third final act is legalization. So would you say that the medicinal is kind of a necessary forerunner to recreational legalization? No, thankfully, uh, because if we just look at the size of the country, uh, <clears throat> we can't labor through another 15 to 25 years of states uh, going in the direction of medical marijuana. Plus, the other trend has become uh, evident, and that is the CBD-only trend. Mm -hmm. This past year, a baker's dozen, about 13 states, on grief legislative tracks, CBD-only legislation. CBD is the non-psychoactive ingredient in uh, cannabis. Right, it's used to help and the medicinal so part of it. It, really. it is something that is very, very um, politically popular, uh, made through mainly three CNN one-hour specials that really make the case for it. Um, yeah. It's a lot of... Um, a lot of buzz to use a bad pun around CBD, <laughs> and so all of these mainly states in the southeast United States that are otherwise very conservative, they didn't entertain any notion of passing medical marijuana laws over the last 20 years, but as soon as these specials started running, as soon as parents started coming in saying, we have kids that we you know think could use it or are benefiting from it, and we don't think they should be criminals, it should all be legal, pharmaceuticals, etc., that um, most all these states, except for Minnesota and New York, uh, have been from you know the great sort of conservative southeast uh, United States, and um, but it's dysfunctional. There is no legal CBD in the United States. Uh, yeah. State like Colorado, even if it grows CBD, can't break the federal rules of moving it across state lines. Mm -hmm. um, and right now, and we don't have the executive branch in Washington yet saying yes to the executive branches in New York, notably where Governor Cuomo has asked for a special exemption for marijuana to come from Colorado in the form of CBD-only uh, oils okay. to New York. So this is getting really complicated. And so yeah, um, long-winded <laughs> answer to the question of, well, do other states have to go that route? Let's hope not. Um, at this point, I think that uh, the vast majority of states are going to likely uh, go right to legalization, as we see Ohio um, doing, even though Ohio uh, had decriminalized marijuana in 1978. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the big issues in Colorado when they first uh, legalized it for recreational use was that none of the banks would do business with any of the retailers, and everyone mm -hmm. was flush with cash. They had way too much cash. They didn't know what to do with it. Has that situation improved yet, or are they still cash-only business? No, it is still largely cash-only business. Some of them have finagled the system by getting straw men, if you will, 
to set up uh, ATM machines in these places, and they give up a pretty hefty percentage for for the cash right there. But um, they are still largely cash businesses. They still have security firms that come and take the cash and then now bring it to safe houses, if you will, um, which is just absurd. Yeah. We've even uh, been involved with legal cases where uh, there are businesses that incur fifty, sixty thousand dollars a quarter of federal taxes, and because they don't have bank accounts, technically speaking, you're supposed to have all these uh, government-issued uh, passwords and IDs that allow you to basically pay your taxes online because it's so more, so much more efficient than using right. checks and whatnot. So, well, if you can't get those. How are these businesses supposed to pay their taxes? So one business in Colorado walked in <clears throat> to the regional office in, of the um, IRS in Denver and dropped like sixty-five thousand dollars <laughs> in fives, tens, and twenties on on them, and said, "There, there's your taxes." And they turned around and said, "No, we're not going to accept it. And now we're going to fine you for being late." Wait a minute! They are paying you money. The money says legal tender. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, yeah, this has to be resolved. Um, so is there anything sort of on the brink that's going to resolve this, or is this going to be an ongoing situation <laughs> in all the states? Well, there are, by the time we get through maybe mid-July, there will be 20 bills introduced in the this 114th Congress having to do with marijuana law reform, ranging from legalization, sentencing reform, and medical marijuana, and OCBD, and mm-hmm. hemp. And also, the two most salient bills, if you had to put a gun to my head, even though neither one, frankly, will pass in this Congress, but if two were to pass, because almost everybody at this point agrees and no one's in opposition, would be the banking regulation reform, allowing these banks the ability to get into this business, and two, something called 280E reform, an obscure IRS code that would allow these, uh, these marijuana-related businesses to write off standard business deductions because right now, while they're getting little, literally no representation at the federal level, they're paying absurd, absurdly high taxes that the average business would not. Oh, that's interesting. So they're not getting standard deductions for like things that they're using on an everyday basis to run the business? Correct, which can, by, for most people who don't understand, that's about a 30 to 40% deduction annually that right now they're having to pay and yeah. a lot of these folks as you can imagine they would either put the money right in their pocket which they would be do it if they were like selling pizzas or or widgets or whatever mm-hmm. um or they would be as many of them say that they would be piling that money that um, that large amount of money right back into expanding the businesses right so do you think that nationwide legalization is a realistic outcome in the next 10 to 15 years well Yes, yes, in the sense of we, if we're mindful of the history regarding alcohol. So a quick tutor, and that is that uh, alcohol prohibition, of course, ended in the early 1930s at the federal level. They kicked the can to the states. The mm-hmm. states developed largely what are called three-tier integrated systems, and um, they adopted them fairly soon after, by about 1935, not more than three or four years after the federal prohibition ended, all of the states in existence at that point, except for, off the top of my head, Kansas, Oklahoma, and I think one of the Dakotas, 
uh, and Oklahoma notably, did not end alcohol prohibition until 1959. Yeah, I remember so, hearing about that. It sounds like Oklahoma so is a little it, behind the uh, behind the times <laughs> in a lot of issues. <laughs> well, so, you know, that's an acknowledgement that in this country we're big and diverse. If some states choose to, like, and I'm just throwing out here, again, Oklahoma, Kansas, Utah, the Dakotas, oh, maybe South and, uh, Carolina, West Virginia, uh, uh, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, a lot of those states I just clicked off, um, I could see them, you know, dragging their feet for a half generation or more, and I'm nearly 50 years old. I may never get to smoke a legal marijuana cigarette in Ogden, Utah, or Lawrence, Kansas, but, you know, the country's so big and diversified, we already have um, this weird patchwork of alcohol laws that generally work pretty good. Yeah, those can um, even change county by county out here in the Midwest. Ex- exactly. And by the way, and, and, and so uh, going back to sort of original points here about what, what does this all come up to? What does this get all distilled to, to use another bad pun? <laughs> and that is, it's all about, as it should be in this country, local mores and values dictate what our um, zoning laws look like at the main street level. So if you live in a town that's like a college town, a big city, a hip place, yeah, marijuana is probably going to be on your main street. It's going to be no big deal. But then there's going to be other places where you go like, oh, well, you know, they can't ban the commerce, but they're going to put it out by the railroad tracks or the or about by the water filtration treatment plant. Right, you got to go yeah. to the outskirts you know, of town. Yeah, they're going to put it in the same zoning that they largely do with the go-go clubs, the casinos, the bingo halls, uh, the rock and roll clubs, all that kind of stuff that, you know, they acknowledge that is adult commerce. It's problematic, but... We don't want it on the main street. We're not about that. And then you're going to get um, the proverbial, what we call around the United States, dry counties. You know, there are, by oh, my yeah. count, something like 300-some-odd dry counties. And, and that, of course, means you can possess alcohol in your home as long as you can go somewhere else and purchase it and bring it home or be a member of a, a very exclusive club. So what's really missing uh, in Colorado and these other states is the clear... Um, lacking of a place where people can use marijuana in the same way that our brethren who use alcohol go to bars and restaurants, uh, they go to beer halls and whatnot, um, wine clubs. Yeah. Same thing with cannabis. Uh, that is lacking. That is one of the first things that are going to have to change in a post-prohibition series of law. Um, that's why normal will continue to exist long after um, marijuana prohibition ends, and that is for us to get parity with alcohol consumers. Uh, just curious, um, here in Illinois, how do you think everything is going? <laughs> wow, well, Illinois, of course. I'm from Massachusetts, so like okay. nobody knows regulation and corruption better. <laughs> uh, so, so Illinois is incre- as as. One could have predicted going into the process it was going to be laden with all kinds of parochialisms and people getting greased, and that's exactly what's what's happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, and, and so, uh, almost all the east, you know, eastern medical marijuana law reforms have been caught up in the sort of degree of local graft and corruption that often is found in those places, and um, and so Illinois. 
I'm glad that it looks like decrim looks like it's about to happen, right. and yep. that will sort of be like um, two major reforms in a short period of time. That if Ohio goes legalization, uh, there's just and, and by the way, Michigan too. There's an effort in Michigan to do pretty much the same thing. Um, if they get squeezed with those two midwestern states going with legalization, there's no way Illinois is going to not go in that. They can't not go for that degree of revenue. They can't. They can't give it up. Yeah, it's an eventuality, and we need the revenue. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely. Oh yeah, so oh, totally. So, but you know, the, the fits and starts to get Illinois, you know, um, licensing going, and what it's going to take uh, at the local level. Um, I mean, I hope a lot of students will be writing doctoral dissertations on what it was like to get like this dispensary or that dispensary opened up in, in you know, in um, Cicero, for right, example. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, that just would be a trip. You know, so um, but it's it's got to happen. Illinois is a bellwether state. It's really important to the United States. Of course, California is the big player. If mm-hmm. it goes legalization, it largely flips the country. If it doesn't, then it just delays us for some years. And well, it's failed once in in California. Do you think it'll pass this time around? Well, the polling's, again, not that great. And, and uh, you know, it, out there, we, we found out in 2010, um, and, it, and I can commend to you if you haven't seen it before, great um, documentary called Evergreen, The Road to Legalization in Washington State. And it cap. When we met the producers, we said, you know, you got to be really on the watch out for this because you're going to probably see what we saw in California. And that is, people who sell. We we never thought of this. We we never conceived that people that get up and smoke marijuana, grow marijuana, and sell marijuana every day, they don't necessarily want it legal. <laughs> and so in California, we found out that um, by losing the, the vote there by three percentage points, that really we lost people who are in the industry and people who just are so fat and happy with the status quo that uh, the idea of paying taxes and having regulations, when it's so laissez-faire out there, um, it, it, um, we, we then tried to apply those lessons learned, thankfully, successfully in these other four states. And this documentary I refer you to really captures how in Washington State, same thing, but these medical marijuana providers, quote-unquote, um, you know, just were out there, you know, joining, ironically, the narcs, DEA, <laughs> drug rehabbers. They were basically siding with them saying, don't vote for marijuana legalization. <laughs> they and had too, so many, like, too much skin what? in the game. What are you crazy? Oh, but no, if you're still selling marijuana for two, three, four hundred dollars an ounce um, in a non-free market with no regulation, no taxes, no liability, and then you say, "Well, hey, we're going to bring you legalization. You're going to have to be super efficient. We're going to have all these regulations, and maybe you'll make a decent living as compared to these folks who make a really good living, not working that hard." Eh, not surprised. We we now find out from human nature, and you can watch it right in that documentary. It's sure, on Netflix sure. and whatnot. Uh, it is. Uh, you can <laughs> your your eyes won't lie to you as you watch these folks um, make the argument that marijuana should remain illegal. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. We'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, no, it's really it's an hour and twenty minutes. It's totally watchable wow. and informative. But. Um, yeah, there's going to be pockets that are going to be oppositional, but thankfully the wave in the United States is moving towards major reforms, and uh, 
these parochial interests can't keep it down. But, you know, in California, I would not bet a dime it, was gonna, it would pass. Uh, we'll obviously labor as hard as we can to make it happen, but mm-hmm. I'm not a betting man, but it, it, it is, you know, at this juncture does not look strong. Not like my home state of Massachusetts. There it pulls six. Five percent wow. in in uh, in in, in um, California with twisting turns, we get to fifty four, fifty five percent. Yeah, well, probably everyone without a you know an entrenched business is going to look at Colorado's model, look at all that money they've been able to raise for the taxes, and say that's where we want to go. Yeah, it's a good angle. To well, we love we the love revenue. the fact that it, that that, that uh, Californians are so you know in their mind sort of elite and like we're at the vanguard of everything cool and wild and progressive. <laughs> It's like, yeah, but you let four other states, you let freaking Alaska beat you to the punchline, to the marijuana, you know, uh, uh, just how, I just, just how they, so so there's a bit of shame now that they feel like, wow, we got to step up because uh, they know the country and the federal government really is not going to flip unless California, this nation state does it. All right, well, Alan, it sounds like you have your work cut out for you. Uh, We'll let you go, but thank you so much for joining us tonight. My pleasure. Thanks so much. That's Jason destroying eardrums since 2012. Nothing destroys eardrums as much as the intro to the Nerdist. Cracking some beers. Well, thank you very much, Alan, for joining us in that interview. Uh, we we have uh, another beer that we're just cracking here, so let's talk about that. This is the Arrogant Bastard Ale. You're not worthy. <laughs> From Stone Brewing in San Diego, California. Or in Escondido, San Diego County, California. Uh, one of our uh, sometime uh, contributors to... Drink Five is now located in San Diego. That's Took a right. side trip to Escondido. Told me that it was a fantastic disc golf course out there. Shout out to Matt Cochran out there. Uh, as well, I want to mention if you guys are listening to the podcast now or uh, on archive, please go ahead and rate us on Stitcher or iTunes. Uh, we're at Drink Five Network, and that very much helps us out. Um, very much appreciated. Take the time to subscribe to our podcast on those same networks. We will send you nothing of value because we can't actually give you anything for reviews. <laughs> but we will uh, think good thoughts about you. Or follow us on uh, Twitter at Drink5, uh, Facebook.com uh, slash Drink5Network, and of course Drink5.com where we have all of our content located in a central location where you guys can check it out and uh, share it or comment on it or whatever the heck. Uh, the only thing we're really here for is to provide our commentary on the world. And thank you to our audience so far and our audience in the future for listening to us and uh, providing feedback. I would like to thank the audience in the past that has listened to us already. Well, there you go. Just so we can cover everyone. You... <laughs> and, and those people that would have listened to us but, but are since long dead because it was the 1920s, or uh, the 1870s. Thank you for them. And thank you to all of the future babies that would listen to us, but um, there will no longer be civilization for them to access our MP3s. That's another podcast, though. Is it, Or is it one we've already done? That's the uh, the apocalyptic podcast. Oh, cool. Apocalyptic. 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 
Apocalypticast? Apocalypticast. I don't know. I don't that know. one could work. Apocalypticast. <laughs> <laughs> but back on the subject. Yes, as we were talking about with Alan, things have been changing a lot lately. Right. So individual states are passing laws and it's become sort of a state versus federal thing. So some states are passing laws like Colorado and Washington. Other states are not budging at all. And some courses or cases are going through the federal court, which are solidifying one opinion or another. Okay. So in 2009, it kind of uh, broke, I suppose, that um, the federal, the, the, the attorney general, Eric Holder, said that. Uh, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, that he wasn't going to use uh, the federal government to go after people who were following the laws of their state in regards to marijuana. Which is how it should be on this governmental level, which is that if, if states or counties want to legalize things that are not necessarily already legalized by the federal government, then they should be allowed to do that as long as they're within the bounds of their jurisdiction. I, uh, I definitely agree. And, you know, to be honest with you, I used to always be sort of a uh, federal government power first kind of person. And this whole argument has made me realize that there are a lot of things that the states can do better than the federal government. Oh, see, I love that. And that state, uh, state powers are very important. I appreciate that you've sort of changed based on this particular law. Now, I can some, see the benefit to both. Something that you are more passionate about can sometimes draw you in a certain direction. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think that what we should consider is that there are different populations that are ready or, or more willing or uh, more prepared for certain things than other populations. Right. And so we should let those populations do what they want to do within the bounds of the law that they are given to them. Uh, so empower, you know, they already are. That works really. for some things. For yeah. other things, like you have to make a very specific rule as to how it gets implemented. Well, all of these things have to be very specific rules. Uh, but but in this case, for example, uh, it, there are places that, like for a county level, have decriminalized, but not the state level. Right. There are certainly places like that. In fact, um, it gets Portland, confusing too. It it does now like. The county level law enforcement is sort of a, a, a widely accepted thing, but there's a case in Portland, Maine, and South Portland, Maine, where they actually voted to legalize marijuana in the city. But because the state laws basically take precedent in the city, they still aren't allowed to have, possess, or sell any legal marijuana. But they sort of, I guess, uh, symbolically passed a law. That legalized marijuana there. Yeah, and that's one of those things that needs to go through like the actual uh, process in order for it to really become legal for everyone everywhere in in that capacity. Right. Um, but it's important that there are these small groups and and they get ever larger that think that something should be done and they do it and it is done. Right, um, and, and those groups are the American people, and so like residents Al- of these states, like Alan said, you know, perhaps you know this could all be sort of uh, taken care of in the next twenty years, uh, but it's going to be a couple of states uh, afterwards, even if the federal government does end up legalizing marijuana as a recreational and medicinal drug. Yeah. Uh, that they could still have local laws that that don't that allow prohibited it. sale and stuff like that. They wouldn't be able to prohibit you from actually possessing it, but if you in an entire state prohibited sale, 
just like alcohol. You can you could have just like Oklahoma. You can have alcohol in well, like even my my sister. She lives in uh, in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and and something I had never realized before. Um, only because I went there on a weekend, and I ended up being there on a Sunday, and I was going to watch football. I was going to grab a, a six pack. Where she lives, like you can't buy alcohol on Sunday. Is it a statewide thing, or is it a like a, just a regional? Well, I think maybe just her town. I'm not really sure because I do know that Indiana, the entire state of Indiana, where our one of our drink five guys Troy lives, um, you cannot buy anything on Sunday. Right. Luckily for Troy, he lives very close to Michigan. But it's not like and you can get, drive up to Michigan and buy beer. And, and same as Indiana, it's not like you get arrested for for drinking a beer on Sunday watching football. Right. But you're not allowed to actually buy it, and uh, I I guarantee you there is there is exceptions. Do you know what the exception is? I bet at, you could guess at a bar or restaurant. Uh, right. Yes. At okay. an establishment that sells it at a Colts game. Because <laughs> of course they're going to be selling beer at the football game. Well, I could go to Chili's in Minneapolis and get a tequila. Right, but the liquor stores are closed. Yeah, and that seems like such a ridiculous law. Oh yeah, those are just old weird laws that. And Who knows ho- why they remain? And hopefully we get past those here on this next round of legislation because uh, as soon as as uh, marijuana is legalized, and it looks like it will be legalized in all of these states eventually. Um, they're going to have to get past these old laws that are grandfathered in and things that may restrict them. Um, one of the other things that, that really was interesting to me that Alan brought up was he was talking about like uh, particular uh, groups, uh, companies that are distributing um, and dispensaries that are growing that are not able to put their money into the bank system. The uh, you know of right. It's a huge problem for them. So right now, there's not really a good defined answer as to how those people can have that money put into the system, and then they can pay taxes and be legal. Right. Banks will not accept their cash, and credit card companies will not allow them to. Uh, be a host to process transactions, which means at this point uh, they really have to depend on like some kind of uh, outside investor or something to infuse them with money to be able to pay those taxes, um, or, or they have money no, themselves. Well, I mean, they have to find a way to take the cash and pay the taxes, which they're not necessarily allowed to pay taxes in cash, which is kind of bullshit. Um, but I like one of the one of the solutions they could use on the merchant side of things is something that we had discussed before. There's nothing stopping them from accepting Bitcoin, and then they wouldn't have to be taking cash. Yeah, the the problem is it's not a widespread uh, uh, transactional form of currency. I'm surprised that in a situation like this, where the you know where everything that's going on would almost dictate that you would need to come up with an alternative. That it's not become popular there. Maybe nobody has preached it to them. They needed a Bitcoin evangelical, uh, you know. Well, we we've had a podcast on on Bitcoin in the past, and I encourage you guys to check it out. Uh, the reason why it hasn't been adopted at a high level is because it's it's actually hard to get into Bitcoin. It is not easy. It is not an easy thing to do. Look, it's easier... it's not like you can go to a place and be like, look. Put all my things in bitcoins and I, then like easily transmit it on an application on the phone. I, I totally agree that it is easier for the general consumer who is a tourist or a resident of Colorado who wants to go buy marijuana uh, to just go to the ATM and get some cash and go to the store. Makes sense. But 
it there's no way that with the problems that this cash presents that it's not um, worth a seller's time to figure out how to make the Bitcoin system uh, work for them and to make an incentive for his customers to use the Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin or not Bitcoin, uh, the the American banking system will eventually uh, allow the money in because they have to and it's good for them and it's good for the uh, companies. There's a lot of money the government. Yeah. So uh, Bitcoin is not really going to factor in here. And, you know, they must be accepting the taxes somehow because they do say that they've raised uh, over uh, almost, I'm sure at this point, well over $40 million in tax revenue. Well, the vast majority of these dispensaries are probably owned by people that already have a lot of cash that they can simply, uh, you know, transmit electronically. I Yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, you know, I, I'm not really sure um, what, because what essentially it, you know, it boils down to is they're paying all of their vendors in cash and they're having to protect these incredibly large amounts of money. Sure. Um, so there are now four states that have legal recreational marijuana. Okay. Alaska, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, and Washington, D.C. So far, um, Colorado and Washington have a, a system set up where you can buy it. I think Oregon has a few things. I'm not sure what Alaska's got going on yet. I know Washington, D.C. doesn't have any sort of um, laws yet. Uh, not laws, but any sort of regulation. There's nothing. There's no stores. You can't go buy it anywhere yet. Um so there's 18 other states now that have medical marijuana laws, and some of them are kind of crazy. So California, um, you know, there aren't too many rules on it. There aren't too many taxes on it. Um, and in fact, uh, like what Alan said, the entrenched medical marijuana community there doesn't even want to see it become legalized because it's such a, like, they, they, they really like the system that they're in. Sure, and, and there are a lot of people that... Um you know, maybe doing this illegally that are not looking forward to having that business taken away yeah. from them. Yeah, the black market in Colorado is still apparently cheaper than uh, the legal market. So the it did nothing to scare away the legal market, the illegal market, that is, the black market, if you will. Um, so some states only allow um, certain strains that are more strictly medicinal, the strains that are high in CBD and low in THC. Um, so CBD is cannabidiol, and it is the ingredient in marijuana that is found in most marijuana that you would smoke, um, but in certain strains it's found in much higher percentage, whereas the THC, kind of like hemp, is found in a very, very low percentage. So it's a strain of marijuana that doesn't get you high, but it can give you most of the medicinal uh, effects of the cbd um so it's been used in patients in the united states united states to treat children with uh dravet syndrome which is a very severe form of epilepsy and they have hundreds of seizures throughout the course of a week um these kids will so these treatments of the cbd will prevent the seizures it's you know sort of an amazing outcome uh for these parents who are trying to use all this different medicine and a lot of the medicine has very severe side effects um there's some epilepsy medication that can actually kill you um so it, it's amazing the uh results 
that are that, that they're seeing using CBDs. Like all medicines, uh, this is a medicine uh, drawn from from this particular plant, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think that any medicine should be uh, should be turned away from patients where it appears to help them, uh, unless it is something that has ill effects, which in this case doesn't have any ill effects so right uh, it doesn't even get you stoned so all of this should be fantastic for for all of these uses in, including what you're saying this yeah. very specific uh case uh but let's move away from the specificity uh to you know cancer to people that have diseases that are are very painful mm-hmm. uh and, and obviously we we already know that medicinal marijuana is used for those purposes but that is is such a fantastic use for this something that doesn't cost very much something that helps a lot of people um i i don't know about the things that people have said about uh you know how marijuana could could cure cancer marijuana could blah 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 i don't believe necessarily all those things that they're saying well it's you know like a lot of things they've found like very uh limited success in a lab the only thing for outrageous claims like that the only thing that matters here is that uh, it's basically like a, a very light pain-killing drug that has uh, very little side effect that can help a large portion of the population. Yeah. There's no reason not to do it in every state. They showed two different cases. So uh, this this weed... Um, they, they it has a side it effect. Weed. It has a side effect of CNN. watching Ancient Aliens on History Channel. And you watch all kinds of television. That oh. is a side effect. <laughs> so they had two cases of uh, uh, patients in Israel. One of them was a young guy who had cancer, and he was actually smoking like a volcano, which is a vaporizer, in the hospital in order to go to sort of go along with his chemotherapy. When you take chemotherapy, you feel really bad, you, you're nauseous, you don't want to eat any food. So when you smoke weed, it helps uh, kill the pain, and it makes you hungry. And when you're able to eat on chemotherapy, you can keep your strength up, and you can survive being blasted with radiation. Um, so it was, it was helping this patient and it was really no more than smoking it the way that a, uh, casual smoker might smoke it. Um, and then there was a, an elderly guy in a nursing home. He was 77 and they're finding, they're giving all these, uh, um, like senior citizens marijuana to smoke in the nursing homes and they're getting pain relief and they're eating more food and they're, you know, gaining weight and they're staying healthy longer. So yeah. just like the plain old activity of just smoking weed without having to worry too much about isolating the certain things that are really good. Uh, and, and, and it's amazing what it can do for very severe uh, problems. But for more simple problems, it can have a profound effect on it. So let's talk about negative effects. So uh, obviously um, something that, that marijuana can do is provide sort of a, a multiplying effect on someone that is already... Uh, engaged in some other kind of a drug. Let's say right. it's all uh, things that are legal, prescription drugs and alcohol. For if example, if you're getting intoxicated and you mix drugs, you know, if you mix pills and booze, if you mix marijuana and booze, so someone marijuana, someone and goes out and has a lot of shots, and, and they have a, a prescription drug like a, a Vicodin or something like that, and they also smoke um, that, and currently illegally or or legally, depending on what depending state they're where in. You're in. Um, that could cause uh, some kind of complication 
um, that could impair them to the point where they are doing something negative to people around them. What I said originally was that I would support this particular drug as long as it doesn't change anything uh, negatively uh, for the people that are doing it. Now, well, nothing is a free ride. Of course, you, 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 if you wanted to, if you wanted to, as an adult American or anywhere else in the in the free world, uh, or you know, I guess the not free world, <laughs> you could go under your kitchen cabinet and just drink a bunch of uh, stainless steel cleaner. Oh yeah, you could chug that Drano. Uh, th- there's always a possibility for you to do something that is negative or something that could harm people. Uh, you need to know what that is. So uh, it, it becomes a question about for this particular drug, which is a drug, and it does do something to you because it, to say otherwise is bullshit. Absolutely. Um, you need to be taught you know, from a certain age that this thing could help and it could hurt. And the there only are good the uses o- and bad uses, just o- like many things the only thing i'm concerned about really is uh is that if if it was a a legalized substance let's say here in illinois where where we're from uh jason and i Mm -hmm. um how old do you have to be to buy it in colorado and everywhere else you have to be 21 okay so so it's regulated very similarly to alcohol which is sort of what we've been getting at the whole day yeah And, and so then you have another conversation about is 21 old enough for blah 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 that's not in this conversation we're having right now. We're not going to start talking about it. Um, that is another conversation you could have yeah. saying there are people that probably are not able to understand. They're not ready for that responsibility. Or, yeah. Well, one of the things we did mention earlier that the doctors were saying is that your brain isn't developed until you're 24. So you should wait until then. I suspect they would say the similar thing about alcohol. Yeah, you're right. And in fact, it would be interesting if, if perhaps, uh, you know, down the line, we, we did have some kind of rule where it was like, uh, at this certain age, you can have these brain-altering substances. Right. I mean, it would make more sense that way. I, yeah, I suspect the age 21 limit that started with alcohol and remains now with marijuana in certain states is more of a political decision rather than a medical well, decision. Well, of course, but I know, like, my dad, for example, like, uh, there was times when he was able to go to a state and drink when he was 18. Yeah, that used to be a thing in many places. In and fact, it, when we were very young, I think you could still do that in Wisconsin. And it makes a lot of sense because if you're talking about 18 as a rule... 18 is like when you go over and you can give your life for your country. Right. And, and if it, you can die for your country, you can have a beer. Yeah. If, if people are saying that, like, you know, you can you can enlist in the army and go someplace and, and be killed and you can't have a cigarette and or... And that's sort of the unofficial age, A I drink suppose, of beer. In country, right? When kids go off to college, it's widely accepted that they will be drinking in certain more or less controlled situations. And this is, again, it's a different thing, but uh, if we talk about politi- political correctness, etc., uh, I mean, I personally, I would say that each person should be given some kind of, uh, of, a, of a test uh, very quick, like, uh, you know, <laughs> here, here is where you are, and you are now, like, uh, you are old enough and more rational enough to be able to make your own decisions. So you are allowed to make your own decisions. Uh, and some people, they could be 55 years old and still be an idiot and so not be allowed <laughs> to do that. But and obviously that won't happen. Would you want to have to be responsible for making their decisions? 
No, and it's not about that. There are certain things they wouldn't be able to do. But but this is like an Adam Carolla sort of thing. You know what I mean? Right. Well, he just takes everyone's nuts and gives them back to you if you pass. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm talking about something that, that could happen uh, logistically in a society uh, that isn't as politically correct and uh, and fair as ours is. And if you say fair means that everybody gets to have whatever they want when they reach a certain age... You and I both agree that, that a lot of people aren't ready. So really, it's a political thing, just like you said before. Sure. You just have to draw a line, and that line is what it is. Right. I think that um, the only part of this where we differ is that um, you want to maybe protect more people from screwing themselves up, and I want to give op- people opportunities to go ahead and do it themselves. You want to give people opportunities to screw themselves up. Yep. I think that everyone should be given the right to mess up their own life. But that's insane because you can, in part, then screw up other people's lives. That's the problem. And I see that that's where you come from. That that's the part of it that you're coming from. But that can be a totally different debate for a different show. No, there's no debate. The the, the debate is <laughs> you, you draw a line and that line is what it is. And in, in, in society, we have drawn that line. We have. And currently, it is uh, 21. Right. So I want to know, Dave, would you vote if the state of Illinois was coming up for it? Would you vote for legalization for recreational marijuana? Yes, I would vote yes. Okay, I totally would too. Do you think it should stay, and we asked Alan this, but I want to know what your thought is. Do you think that we should leave it as a state-by-state thing and just kind of let everyone decide what they want to do? Or do you think it should be decided on a national level and sort of integrated into society as sort of a right rather than... um, no, I think you're on the wrong track. It, okay. It, it it has to be federal. It has to be federal. It can't just be state. So you, the federal government needs to change something. Do you think the federal government needs to just legalize it? Yes. And, and as soon as uh, the majority of the United States uh, is ready for that, then what will happen is the majority of the United States will press that upon the Congress or the Senate to create those laws and that. legislations. Um, as soon as the federal government has uh, legalized it, then it, it's down to those states that don't want to do it to to you know keep uh, having these debates until until they do. Um, and we talked about earlier, uh, even though, for example, after the prohibition, the federal government legalized the sale and consumption of alcohol uh, for a couple of decades afterwards. Oklahoma and some other states that were very conservative decided that it was still going to be against the law there. And it's some places are still dry after making rules from it going back as far back as the 1850s. But because it's the federal government saying it's okay, you're still allowed to have it. So I, I expect the same thing. And so did Alan. He expected the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so we expect the federal government to eventually... Uh, make it a, a legality, like a real situation mm-hmm. here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then there will be several uh, states that are kind of late to the draw and may take a while. Uh, and as he said, you know, uh, generations have to uh, kind of... Have uh, to die off. They have to... <laughs> to, to put it bluntly. Yeah, for lack of a better word. They, they have to disappear uh, and the new generation has to come up in order for some of these states that are very entrenched in their uh, conservative or whatever values uh, to to reach that consensus, right? Yeah, totally. And um, I think certainly in our lifetimes we're going to see it. I'm, I'm hoping in the next 
10 years or so, we see some really forward change here in Illinois, at least. Well, surely we'll see way before that. Um, like Alan was saying, you've got, you got Michigan and Ohio uh, that are both doing it. And we're, we're going to be in the Illinois sandwich soon. So within 10 years, all of these states should be uh, legalized, at least medicinal, if not medicinal and recreational marijuana usage. Yeah. Um, and whether or not that's a good thing is up for you guys to decide, uh, you know, as our audience. But we would suggest to you that in the overwhelming majority, it should be a good thing. I agree. So, Dave, uh, as parting words, do we tell our audience to smoke five tonight instead of drink five? No, because it's still <laughs> illegal in some places. Everyone who lives in Colorado and Washington and Oregon and Alaska, um, we're happy for you tonight. All right. Everybody else, drink five. And go Blackhawks.